turn to the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I'm going to be using one verse for the text this morning, but I want us to read this in context. And so we're going to begin reading at verse 12 and really read down through verse 16 this morning. So I'll give you a moment, and when you find 2 Chronicles 7, would you stand, please, as we show our respect for the reading of God's holy word. This is the word of the living God. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I close the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place. And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, 20 years ago, we had the opportunity for the very first time to go to the Holy Land. We're looking forward to going this year right after Christmas. And one of the places that I had looked forward to visiting was the wall known as the, East, the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. And the reason I look forward to visiting that is I'd heard all my life that that is all that was left of the most magnificent building in the world at the time it was built. Solomon's temple was one of the seven wonders of the world in its day. All around the eaves of the temple, there were shields, not of brass, but of gold. When the sun rose and it hit those golden shields, you can imagine the reflection off there. Every part of the temple was ornate. All the work done in the temple was done by craftsmen. All the stones were fitted together to build up the temple of the Lord. And when it was dedicated, it was the most magnificent structure in the world. But even more than that, God said, I will be in this place. And there was a place there called the Holy of Holies. And God is everywhere. We know that. God is a spirit. But God chose that place on earth to dwell personally all the time. But there was a warning. He said, as long as you keep my commands, I will bless you and I will be here. The sad thing is the temple was dedicated somewhere between 900 and uh, 950 and 930 B.C. And the sad fact is in 586 it was destroyed by the Babylonians and was never rebuilt to its former grandeur. Why? Because God's people didn't honor God's word. People ask me today, Brother Mike, where do you think America is in prophecy? And I have a very simple answer to that. I have no idea. Uh, I don't think necessarily America is mentioned in, prophet, in prophetic literature. I know it talks about in some of the passages in Ezekiel and, and, and Jeremiah and books like that, it talks about the lion and her cubs. And some people have said, well, that's Great Britain and we're one of the cubs of the lion. And that may be true. But I also know that at the end of the book of the Revelation, 
The Bible says all the nations in the world will come against Jerusalem. Now that either means we're there with all those other nations or we will not be in existence at that time. Israel has had two great friends since her founding, Great Britain and the United States. And Israel has always had a lot of enemies. From 70 AD until 1948, there was no land of Israel. To me, the greatest prophetic sign uh, that's been fulfilled since Jesus ascended was when the Jews were sent back to Jerusalem in 1948 and also when they got control of, of the whole city of Jerusalem back in 1967 and 1973. That was nearly 1900 years since the Jews had been in control of the city of Jerusalem. But the Bible says that everything that happened to these people in the Old Testament happened as an example for us. Now, the Bible says God is going to judge men and nations. Uh, there are many times in the Bible where it talks about the nations that forget God will be turned into hell, and all those that forget God. And so today I want to ask a question, is it too late for America? And I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer, no, it's not too late. I'm not going to wait till the end. It's not too late for America. But I don't know how much later it's going to get before it will be too late. Notice that Adrian Rogers, and Adrian Rogers was a great preacher, my mentor, my hero, my role model. Adrian Rogers said before he died, America must turn to God or die. And I believe he was right. And so as I, I look at this passage and I, as I look at our country, first of all, I see that America has real problems. First of all, we have a problem with violence. Right now we have a debate going on in Washington about gun control. Uh, let me promise you this, if you control all the guns in America, people will kill each other with knives and clubs and spears and other, they'll, they'll smother each other. They'll find ways to kill each other. You know why? The problem of violence is not what is in your hand, it's what is in your heart. And it's a heart problem and you can't change a heart problem with legislation. You change a heart problem by changing people's hearts. They need to know that we are made in the image of a holy God and that life is precious and that's the problem with violence we have in America today. Number two, we have a problem with immorality. We're about to call legal what God calls immoral and an abomination. I think the greatest issue facing the United States of America in her history is the issue that is before the Supreme Court in this day. They are going to go against the clear teachings of Scripture and the clear teachings of our Savior when Jesus said that the Creator made them male and female from the beginning. How could such a thing happen? There has been a media push on for many years. Uh, there has been a gay lobbying group, a very loud, vocal gay lobbying group. I want to tell you this, homosexuals are in a distinct minority in this country. Nobody knows exactly how many there are. Some people say, well, there may be as many as 10%. Well, to me, 10% is a small minority when you consider the other 90%. But we have been brainwashed. 
The media has brainwashed people saying, this is a civil right. It is not a civil right. It's about right and wrong. And you can't make something a civil right about right and wrong. The Bible says God made them male and female from the beginning. We have immorality. We have indifference. And some people just don't care. I, I don't have a dog in that fight, preacher. I, I don't want anybody to get mad at me. I, I, you know, I, I really just want to get along and go along, and I don't want to upset anybody. So I, I, I'm, I'm just going to be kind of indifferent about that. I'm not going to take one side or the other. Let me tell you, if you don't take one side or the other, you're like a man in Alabama that won't root for Alabama or won't root for Auburn. Everybody on both sides is going to hate you if you don't take a side somewhere. You know, you better take a side somewhere, even if you, even you say, well, I'm, I'm an Alabama fan, but I like Auburn. Well, some Alabama fans will want to stone you for saying that. And, and, uh, and some Auburn fans will say, well, I'm, I'm an Auburn fan, but I like Alabama. I want them to do well. Some Auburn fans will stone them. Well, folks, I want to, we're not indifferent about football, but, boy, we're indifferent about a lot of other things. And then there's slothfulness. We pay people to do nothing. We literally pay people to not work. And yet you drive down the highway and there's litter on the side of the highway. And we've got people that are sitting in jail for doing wrong. You know, I remember as a boy driving down the highways of Alabama and it wasn't a chain gang. They didn't have chain gangs when I was a boy. They'd done away with them. But they had prisoners out there and they had those orange jumpsuits on. Uh, and they'd go around with sticks and garbage bags and they'd pick up the litter on the side of the highway. You know, there's a very simple solution to slothfulness. You just practice what the Bible says. The Bible says, he who does not work should not eat. And you say to somebody, well, now I'm not talking about people who can't work. Don't misunderstand me. I know there are people who can't work, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do everything we can to help them, but I'll tell you what the problem is. We're helping people who can work, and so many times the people who can't work don't get any help because the people who can work won't work. And if they don't work, they ought not eat. You know, somebody shows up and they say, I'm hungry. Well, good. Let me say, we got a little work over here we need you to do. I don't want to do work. Well, you're not going to eat then. If you did that, it would stop a lot of the slothfulness. We have blasphemy in America. We have people now who are not just atheists, they're anti-theists. And again, I think it's a small number. There may be 10%. I think that's a, a large percent. I don't think there'd be 10% of people that are atheists. There may be 10% atheists and agnostics added together. An agnostic just simply says, I don't know. But an atheist says there is no God, and an anti-theist is militant about the fact that he believes there is no God. There's a lot of blasphemy in our country. But I think the greatest sin in America is pride. Because 90% of the people in America believe in God. Now, here's something that amazes me. 90% of the people in America believe in God. That means only about 10% are agnostics or atheists. And this is by the, the, the most liberal counts. I'm not going by conservative counts. I took the most liberal counts. 90% in people in America believe in God. 10% don't believe in God. 80% of the people in America believe they're going to heaven. If you ask them, where, where are you going to go when you die? Oh, I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven because I've never killed anybody. I'm going to heaven because, because I try to always do the right thing. I, I, I try to be kind to everybody. I love animals. I'm going to heaven because I love animals. And so you know what they're doing? They're talking about their human goodness when they don't want to talk about their spiritual sinfulness. And they're marching blindly and proudly into hell. And that's the problem in America. Now, let me say this. There are problems in the church. 
What problems do we have in the church? Go down that list. Wait a minute, preacher. Nobody's violent in the church. Are you kidding me? I've been a Baptist since I was nine years old. I've been a saved Baptist since I was 16 years old. You know what Jesus said about anger and murder? You know, if you get angry at your brother, you've killed him in your heart. There are murderers in these pews today. Wait a minute, preacher, you're stepping on my toes. Now, good. That means the Holy Spirit's talking to you. That's good. That's a good sign. You ever been mad about, oh, now we changed something in the bulletin this week. Actually, we changed it back, okay? Some of y'all came in this morning and you breathed a sigh of relief. Because you looked in the bulletin, and in the bulletin, there are the orders of worship for the 8 o'clock service and the 915 and 1045 services. Now, several weeks ago, uh, someone, not me, decided we weren't going to put the, the, the order of worship in, in the bulletin. And I said, wait a minute, time out. I said, uh, I think, I, you know, 8 o'clock is a traditional service, your traditional bulletin, you have the order of worship. So I said, let's put the 8 o'clock service in. So we put the 8 o'clock service order of worship in, and we didn't say anything about 9, 15, 10, 45. We just wanted it to flow. Well, some people got upset, and they said, we want the order of worship in there. And, and, and so I wasn't going to, you know, I, I, I could have said, okay, put the order of worship in there, but I thought, well, let's see where this goes. And, uh, and finally somebody said, well, we don't know who's singing the solo. I said, okay, we'll change that. So if you remember, we changed it. And so you had the eight o'clock order of worship. Then you had who was singing the solos at, at the service. So you'd know that. Well, some people still didn't like it. Well, you say, why did you change it? Were people mad and hateful? No, they weren't mad and hateful. They just said they missed it. But guess what happened? A, a piece of material came into our office this week from the Sun, from, I call it the Sunday School Board, it's Lifeway. Tom Rayner, who's head of Lifeway, said, here are five things people want in their bulletins on Sunday. Uh, number one, they want it to be done with class and style. Number two was they wanted sermon notes. Number three, uh, they wanted the order of service. And the people who had decided to take it out came to me and said, uh, we'd like to put that back in the bulletin. And I said, you can't do it. I'll let y'all change it. We ain't changing it now. Over my no, I didn't say that. I said, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You know why people get angry over little bitty things? Now, will it change the plan of salvation to put the order of worship in the bulletin? No. Did people get upset about it? Yeah. I don't think anybody got, I didn't hear any death threats or anything like that. But folks, let me tell you, don't get angry in God's house. Get angry at sin. Get angry at the devil. Don't get angry at your brothers and sisters. Get angry about the right things. But not only is there violence in the church, there's immorality in the church. You say, what are you talking about? Well, some of y'all are going places on the internet you shouldn't go. Some of you young people have made vows of true love weights, and you don't have any intention of keeping those vows. You say, I just did that because my mom and daddy put pressure on me. Listen. When you go through true love weights, you're supposed to learn, these aren't the vows your mom and daddy want you to make. These are vows God wants you to make. You're, you belong to God. Serve the Lord. You'll be a whole lot better off if you do. There are people in the church that they, they decide, well, you know, I'm single and you're single and, and we, we're Christians and, and we know it's wrong, but we just need to move in together. I never thought I'd have to do this, but about 20 years ago, I had to put a letter in our wedding policies that said, I won't marry you, and you can't use the church if you're living together when you get married. 
because so many people, I hate, I hate to do that, but I want to tell you folks, this is not the world here, okay? This is the kingdom of God, and we need to stand on, on right. You say, well, do you hate people that are living together and not being married? No, I love them, but they're not doing the right thing. And if you're Christians, you're sinning against a holy God. There, you think there's slothfulness in the church? I could show you why there's slothfulness in the church. We beg and beg and beg people to work in the church. And some of you say, well, I've done that. I've been there and I've done that. I took care of those children when I was young. And now I just don't want to. And I just want to sit here like a nod on a log. And I know I'm one of the best nursery workers they've ever had. But I've earned this. I've earned my time in the same. Let me tell you something. When I retire from pastoring, do you think I'm going to go home and sit home on Sunday morning and watch reruns of Adrian Rogers on TV? No. I'm going to be in God's house somewhere. And I hope I'm able to proclaim God's word in God's house somewhere. Why? Because I don't ever intend to retire from preaching the gospel. And you should never retire from serving the Lord. The only time you ought to retire is if you're not physically or mentally able to do it. We have slothful. Do we have blasphemy in the church? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I love your word. Oh, I just love this Bible. Oh, I love to hear Brother Mike preach the word. Oh, he just preaches it so plain. It was so good this. Thank you, Brother Mike. You fed me. I'm going to go home and throw my Bible on the shelf. Next Sunday morning, I'll pick it up. I'm not going to eat a bite of spiritual food for a week. And you'll starve to death spiritually. Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you, if you believe in the Bible and you don't read the Bible and heed the Bible, you're blaspheming a holy God. And what about pride? Every church squabble. Every church split, every disgruntled person has had to deal with pride. You say, now you think you're a preacher. You, I want to tell you, a lot of times the biggest ego in the church is in the pulpit. You say, are you confessing? Yes, I'm confessing. There have been times when I got in this pulpit not filled with the Holy Ghost, but filled with Mike Shaw, and God could not bless it. I have to deal with it. Pride. America has problems. First Baptist Church Pelham has problems. America needs prayer. The people of prayer. And, and notice how I love this because it says, if, if I shut up the heavens and if I send the, the locusts to devour land, and if I do this, if I send pestilence, and, notice this, th this is even stronger than the King James where it says, if my people then. It says, and my people do this. This is giving hope to the nation. It says, and my people. You are my people. The people of prayer, my people who are called by my name. In the Old Testament, they were Israelites meeting in the temple. In the New Testament, they're Christians washed in the blood of the Lamb. Those are the people called by the name of God today. And if you're a Christian, then you're called by God's name. And what's the position of prayer? Again, if one of our greatest enemies and problems is pride, our greatest asset is humility. You know what humility is? Let me tell you what humility is not. Humility is not a poor self-image. Don't walk around all the time and say, I'm just not worth anything. I ain't worth killing. I've been better off. I've never been born. 
Who told you that? I can tell you who told you that. The devil told you that. You know why you were born? Because God wanted you to be born. You know why you are who you are? Because God wanted you to be who you are. God has a plan and purpose for your life. And don't go around mealy-mouthing who you are. You are a child made in the image of a thrice holy God. And Jesus Christ, his son, has shed his blood for you. You are not garbage. Being humble means I am a sinner but I've been saved by his marvelous grace. On my own, I can do nothing. In my hands, no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Humble yourselves, ourselves. The position of prayer, the purity of prayer. Seek my face. You know, I'm a dog lover. We've always had dogs. Best dog I ever had was old Sissy. When Sissy died, I mean, I grieved over Sissy. Uh, for a long time, I couldn't even talk about Sissy without crying. And I didn't want another dog right then. The old Dixie died, and we didn't have a dog. And my wife said, I've always had a dog. Since I was a little girl, I've had a dog. And I said, we're old people. We don't need a dog. We need a dog. I said, I can't just have just any dog. We need a dog. So I started researching. I found a dog that was kin to Sissy. Sissy's daddy was this dog's great-granddaddy. And so we bought this dog. Paid a whole lot more money for it than we should have. But she's kin to Sissy. I remind her every day, you have the blood of Aunt Sissy in you. You're not just an ordinary dog. Well, we decided we won't have puppies from this dog. And so the other day, and we used to have puppies out of Sissy. Sissy was just a puppy machine. She could have puppies and, and she'd raise them and wean them and and, and she was just, and so this dog, not quite the mama dog Sissy was. And I've been praying, Lord, if, when these puppies were born, please let Mary be at home. Well, it was Thursday, and Mary had to go to school, and the puppies were due. And so Mary said, you watch that dog. I said, I'm going to watch her like a hawk. I took her outside to go to the bathroom. And all of a sudden, I thought she was going to the bathroom. She thought she was going to the bathroom, and a puppy came out in the backyard. I immediately become a dog obstetrician. <laughs> and say gynecologist said obstetrician. I screamed, Lord help me. <laughs> I, what did I do, Lord? And just like this, grab the puppy, take the puppy inside, the dog will follow you. Exactly what I needed to do. You say, did God speak? I, somebody did. I grabbed that puppy, took it inside. And I'm sitting there going, Lord, this ain't easy. This is one of the hardest things. I mean, I'm poor. I'm sweating bullets. and No dogs over there cleaning the puppy up. And she and the puppy doing okay. And about an hour later, here comes another puppy. I'm thinking, well, I can do this. I've got the hang of it. And I start working with the puppy. Ten minutes later, here comes another one. And I said, Lord, let Mary come home. Please, Lord, let Mary come home. You remember what had happened on Thursday? The storm came through, and the school teachers in Hoover got out early. Shelby County didn't get out early, did they? Oh, they did? Okay, I didn't know that. I was so busy worrying about puppies, I didn't know if they got out or not. But I know Hoover got out, and I praised the Lord. Thank you, Lord, they're letting the school teachers at Hoover out. Well, Mary got there, and I said, why don't you tell all this? You know the thing about that? Every dog I've ever had that was a good dog, they would look at me, and they didn't look at my hands to see if I had a treat or if I had a ball to play with. You know what the dog learned to do? 
dog learned to look at my face. And if I looked happy, the dog would wag its tail. And if I didn't look happy, the dog, especially Sissy, she'd go, oh, what have I done? What have I done? I've displeased my master. You see, most of us, we're kind of like dogs. We say, oh, we got a treat in his hand. Lord, give me a treat. I'm looking at your hand. God says, I want you looking at my holiness. I want you to look at my face. You got to seek my face. And we seek the face of God. You know, we want to see the smile of his divine approval. And if we don't see that, there's something dreadfully wrong. And that's the problem with America. We are seeking the hand of God, but not the face of God. There are many people in this room who may be seeking the hand of God and not the face of God. That's part of the problem. It needs to be part of the solution. But then notice the penitence of prayer. There has to be a turning, turn from their evil. We can't keep doing what we're doing and expect God to bless us. You know, I love that song, God Bless America. Some of you young folks may not realize it, but that song became popular in the early days of World War II. When America was doing badly, the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor, they'd taken the Philippines, they had taken Wake Island in the South Pacific. We were having loss after loss after loss. And they would get Kate Smith on the radio. Nobody had televisions in those days. But they would get Kate Smith on the radio and President Roosevelt would come on and he would speak to encourage the people. And Kate Smith would sing God Bless America. And you know what? When Kate Smith sang God Bless America, the ACLU didn't say a word. The atheist didn't say a word. Why? Because we needed God. We were losing a war. We had people dying. We were behind. We, we didn't have a standing army that was strong enough to meet the needs. We really needed God, and we called on him. And guess what? God answered, and God helped us. And we started winning the war. And after the war, people came back. And, and for about 10 or 15 years, America lived in the blessings of God. And then just like the Jews in the Old Testament in the book of Judges, we forgot what had happened in the past. And we started turning away from God. And we still say, God bless America. God bless America. But let me tell you what we should be saying. America, bless God. That's what we ought to be saying. Because God will bless America when America blesses God. By the way, God, if you say, what if God doesn't bless America? America will bless you when you bless God. See, you can't control what anybody else does. Bob, you can't really control what Peggy does. I know she wants to be a submissive wife. But you can't control her, can you? No. You know. I can't control Mary, sweet as she is. You know, I really can't. And I, I've been kidding her for years about Sarah got her name in the Bible because she called Abraham Lord. And every now and then, she's not giving me the respect I think I deserve. Of course, that's pride. And I'll say, you know, Sarah got her name in the Bible. And she said, my name's already in there, big boy. <laughs> I said, yeah, but not for the same reason. I said, how does Lord Michael sound? She said, you'll never hear it. You know, I, I can, you know, you say, do you really want her to come? No, I'm just kidding about that. That's, that's a joke. But I can't control her. You know, I really can't, you know, she, she you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to answer to God for what, but you know, Mary can't really control me either. That's where the other shoe falls right there. But I can control me and Mary can control her. 
And if we say, Mike, bless God, then God's going to bless Mike. You see, that works. Whether or not America ever blesses God again, Mike better bless God. And if Mike blesses God, God will bless Mike. We have to turn from our evil ways. What's the promise that America has? First of all, I'll hear their prayer. I'll hear their prayer. Have you ever prayed and you knew God wasn't hearing your prayer? Probably there was unconfessed sin in your life. There may be today if God's not answering your prayers. Not only will he hear, he'll forgive. Forgive their sin. Let me tell you the process about sin. You tell God, I have sinned. This is what I did. And by the way, if you ever hurt somebody, don't, don't go up to them and say, well, if I did anything to hurt you, I'm sorry. Can I be honest with you? That is not an apology, and that's not forgiveness. You need to go and say, I hurt you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. If you say, if I've hurt you, you've negated the whole thing. You say, that's, you're nitpicking. No, I'm not nitpicking. Don't think you're going to get by because that's just pride, and that's a sign of it. God will hear, God will forgive, and God will heal our land. Is it too late for America? No, it's not too late for America. Is it too late for you? No, it's not too late for you. You know, last Sunday, when I heard of the death of Rick Warren's son by suicide, found out later he had taken his own life with a, with a gun, I thought here was a young man who grew up under the preaching of one of the greatest communicators in the world today. A man who's written books that literally millions of people have read. A man who had sent his son to the finest doctors, the finest counselors, the finest therapists the world knows. And yet at 27 years of age, his son decided there was nothing worth living for and took his own life. As I thought about that, I thought about the grief that must bring to Rick and Kay Warren. The grief that must bring to that congregation. The grief that brings to all of us who know that family. When you go through grief, you need healing. And God says, then will I hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. Some of you today need healing. Some of you have wounds. Some of them are open and raw and bleeding. But they're also infested because it's not a clean wound. There are two kinds of wounds. There's a dirty wound and a clean wound. Paul Bear has some clean wounds that were inflicted on him by a surgeon removing skin cancer. What did you say, 40 stitches? 30, all right. I mean, right up by his eye, he had to go to the Eye Foundation to have this. But you know what that is? That's, and, and he'll have, because I've been there with skin cancer, he'll have all these things you'll have to do to that. Why? You want it to stay clean. And some of you will never, ever, ever heal until you let God cleanse that wound. And you turn to him and say, God, I'm wounded. And it's a dirty wound. Oh, God, I need you to cleanse my wounds. You go back and read Psalm 51. David says, purge me, wash me, and I will be clean. And when God washes you, you know what happens? He washes your scarlet sins whiter than snow. 
You know, for years I talked about sin and I'd say, it's as black as sin. Then I realized that's not right. The Bible never says sin is black. The Bible says sin is scarlet. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as white as snow. God takes crimson sins and applies crimson blood and our sins are washed away and we're white through the power of Jesus Christ. Let that blood flow over that wound today. It will cleanse a dirty wound. It will keep a clean wound clean and that wound will heal. Now what should we do about, what should be our response to the homosexual agenda? What should we as Christians do? I don't think I could have put it any better than John MacArthur. He said, what should your response, what should be your response to the homosexual agenda? Make it a biblical response. Confront it with the truth of scripture that condemns homosexuality and promises eternal damnation for all who practice it. What should be your response to the homosexual? Make it a gospel response. Confront him with the truth of scripture that condemns him as a sinner and point him to the hope of salvation through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Stay faithful to the Lord as you respond to homosexuality by honoring his word and leave the results to him. Can I tell you today that I don't hate homosexuals? I want you to hear your pastor say this. I don't hate homosexuals. I hate homosexuality. It is a sin. And it is a sin, like all other sins are, that separates people from God. But I have a hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. If the church stands on the rock, if we stand on the rock, then maybe we can turn this nation to be a nation built on biblical principles and biblical convictions. It's not too late for America, but it's getting later every minute. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, you've promised us in your word that if there's repentance and if there's contrition and if there's confession, then there will be cleansing and then there will be healing and then there will be blessing. And Father, I really this morning can't ask you to bless America. But Lord, I ask that you might turn the hearts of Christian people in America to bless you and that as we as Christians bless you you would see a remnant you you would see a vocal remnant a remnant that will not be stopped or stilled and a remnant that won't go in and hide our message we won't put our light under a bushel but we'll take our light to the top of a hill and we'll let that light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our father in heaven Father, I pray now for this message to take root and bear fruit. Lord, this is not an easy message to preach. But Lord, it's a biblical message and it must be preached. Lord, speak to sinners today that they might be saved. Speak to your people today 
that they might be blessed. In Jesus' name.